Such loud mouth. It's a little girl. I wonder where she got that. Her mother does have a loud mouth. Mmm. Who can I go home? If you need a Bible, raise your hand and these guys will be glad to give you one. You can go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be in this chapter for the next four weeks leading up to Easter. If you'll notice your handout, we're going to be looking at the relevance of Jesus' empty tomb. Obviously, we talk about that every year at Easter and we'll always do that. But I want to kind of make sure we get into this chapter in detail. I really want you to see what Paul was trying to accomplish. I do want to mention a couple of things as, as, as we get started. With camp coming up and all kinds of things going on, and a lot of times at Lent, people give up things. Lent, I'd love for Russ to give up his hair. And that is one of our goals, to get rid of that mop he calls hair. And as we get enough money for camp, we'll shave his head. So, incentive. And the other thing I would encourage you about, all of us, at some point in our lives, in some fashion, have been touched by cancer. Either somebody we dearly love, for many of you, it's your own, it's been you, someone you care greatly about, or know, some of you are currently dealing with it, and so it's Relay for Life thing, cool that we're involved in that, be part of it, and have our own team, and go out there and walk together. In many ways, just not only those of us, but obviously a plague on all of our side. And so, again, you pray about being, in, I got to get me one of those, Melissa, and I know Gerald's involved in it, and there are others, so you please pray about it. All right, 1 Corinthians 15. If you'll notice the title of this series, we're beginning today, and we will end it Easter Sunday, I hope. Speaking of Easter Sunday, what day is Easter? What? 20th of what? I think last year, tomorrow's my son's birthday. I'm only saying that we collecting the lobby. Last year or the year before, Easter was on his birthday. And uh, I don't remember what was last year before, but I had a guy be last and say, uh, isn't Easter the 31st? And uh, he didn't really understand. It's kind of cool. Some people don't know that it's actually that's part of the calendar. We'll make sure you got it. Here's my point. On Easter Sunday, there'll be a few more of us here than are normally here, right? We will have two services. You know, that information will be, we'll start putting it out next week. We will have two services, one at 915 and one at 1050. What I need you to do, by and large, is make uh, try to come at 915. Or if you're going to come at 1050, that obviously won't want to come. But realize we've got to turn the parking lot over. And most people who are visiting would normally come 1050 hour. Your home, you can work it out in Katina. I know we'll need, I don't know if it's actually, if it's, we'll need body to do that. All that information is available this week. Just so you'll know we're going to have to service. Try to work it out to come to the first one off the parking lot. If you're not going to hang around and work second one. And you can park across the street over at the bank or um, at the Hannah building where our youth are behind it. Or usually park the bank. Don't park at Rizzi's. You can park at the bank because I don't think. And First Corinthians 15. You'll turn there. You'll notice the title of the series is The Relevance of Jesus' Empty Tomb. So well, Randy, that's pretty simple. He rose the dead. Yes, he did. What, what, what's that matter? Why is that important to us? You'll notice Matthew 28 says, The angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. Maybe the most significant statement ever written down, recorded for us, in the word of God, he is not here, ever spoken on the planet, obviously, by the angel. He's not here, for he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay. Past tense. He's not here anymore. He is risen. Why is this significant? We're talking about a lot of different things that we're going to really get into. The First Corinthians 15, looking at the event, you know the story, but I want you to see what God was trying to lay out for us, not just the plan of salvation and redemption, but doctrinally what we need to take forward as the church to say to our world, He'll give you life. He'll give you meaning. I want to read you briefly two little things that were written by high school seniors, 17, 18-year-old young people. Listen to these words. 
Day after day, quote, day after day, night after night, I go around searching and trying to find the answer of peace, joy, and satisfaction. The way of meaning to life seems so blocked and hopeless to find. I cannot help but view everything as Shakespeare viewed things. No matter how sincere people seem, everything seems like a big stage and everyone just players. A person just assumes a part and plays his part until the curtain goes up for a new scene. Life is a street without purpose, a car without meaning. Life seems like some big joke. It seems like everyone is lying to you, trying to pull a trick on you, and standing back in the shadows laughing at you. It seems too black to realize that here we are, creatures who didn't ask to be born, but are put here on a seemingly forsaken planet. We are demanded to pay consequences for our deeds in a hereafter, we are told. But why should we be responsible for things we do when we didn't ask to be born? Why is the big why in my life. And then the second one, written by another high school, this was a high school sophomore, excuse me. That one was a senior. This is by a sophomore. In emptiness, all alone now, sitting in the darkness. Where else could I be but in emptiness? Emptiness is nothing. It is all its own. There is no life in emptiness. Where am I going? To boredom or to serenity? The earth is turning as I am turning forever in a circle of emptiness. Now, not everyone is that down, but a lot of people are. And even if you're not that down, Everybody is searching for the meaning of life. One way or the other, whether they articulate it, talk about it, they are. Why am I here? What is life all about? And the emptiness that the human heart feels can only be filled by the person's Christ. It is a vacuum and it is a void. And he came to give you peace, to give you joy, to give you satisfaction. He is risen. That's what we're going to look at today. Our Savior is risen. The first application of this series, the relevance of the empty tomb, is that Jesus is risen from the dead. Now, obviously, that's the whole point of resurrection. That's the whole point of celebrating Easter, is that Jesus rose from the dead. We're going to start with this, and we're going to build on it. Because if you eliminate the empty tomb, Jesus not rising from the dead, you eliminate salvation. You eliminate forgiveness. You eliminate eternal life. You eliminate hope. You eliminate peace. You eliminate purpose in life. And really what you do is you relegate Christianity to just another philosophy of life with a flawed leader. There have been a lot of those. There are many of those now. Everybody has a philosophy of life. You've heard me talk about that many times. Why do we follow Jesus? Because he's more than just a guy with a philosophy of life. He's more than just Buddha. He's more than just Muhammad. He's more than just any other leader I might choose to follow. He is deity. He is God in the flesh who took my sin debt, died in my place, was buried, rose again, and by so doing, can take the emptiness out of my life. The same for you. He can do the same for neighbors. He can do the same for family. Everybody you know, he offers to them life both now and forever could deal with the emptiness. And as the angel said, do not be afraid. I know you seek Jesus crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Every week, we're going to think about that, and then we're going to build upon it. For centuries, for centuries, Christians have banked everything on the fact Jesus rose. Because if he did not, he true, we truly are following a liar and a flawed leader. He's just another guy, a great guy who did a lot of great things. But if he did not rise from the dead, he is a liar and not capable of redeeming anyone. But do not be afraid. He is risen. He is not here. They came to his tomb, and the angel said, be afraid. He's not here. He rose from the dead. Just like he said he would, he did. And so we celebrate not just at Easter, but every day we celebrate risen Jesus Christ. In the early church, the Christians allowed themselves to be beaten, tortured, imprisoned, slaughtered, sewn up into, live, into animal skins while alive, soaked in oil and set on fire as lamps. 
all because they believed Jesus Christ rose. They would not deny the resurrection. They knew Jesus rose from the dead and that they too would rise from the dead. So you get to 1 Corinthians 15. And the relevance of it is this. In Romans chapter 10, Paul says these words. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You cannot be saved any other way outside belief, faith in Christ that he rose from the dead. You agree, confess, and believe that he rose from the dead. Trust him to save you. You can be redeemed. You can, you can live a good life. You can follow others and do good things. You can't be redeemed. You can't have your sins forgiven. You can't be given eternal life. You can't be given the peace surpasses all understanding outside the person of Jesus Christ. Now, 1 Corinthians, interesting book. Probably the oldest of the books of the Testament, written within 30, 40 years of when Jesus was on earth. It's written by Paul, and you get to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. It's the climax of his letter. It's written to believers who were immature, fleshly, and they were struggling with all kinds of things, which had led them to be divisive, had led them into uh, fighting with each other over this guy, following versus this guy, versus this guy. Sound like the church today in many ways. Very divisive, very factious. And one of the things was what he's dealing with in chapter 15 that they were really struggling with and they were dividing over and fighting over was resurrection. They believed Jesus had risen from the dead and they were born again because they had trusted the risen Savior. But they were really struggling with, we're going to rise to the dead? They just didn't, because they, they didn't believe it. They were having false teachers come into the church and say, no, 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 you're, you're not going to get new body. You're not going to rise to the dead. Yes, Jesus did, but that's not for you. And so Paul writes about it a lot. But 1 Corinthians 15 is the quintessential part of the Bible on this subject about resurrection. That we're raised to new life in Christ. He deals with that in Philippians. He deals with it a lot. But here he's saying, you too, as believers, will rise. They were being ravaged by false teachers. And so what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 15, which is what I really want to encourage you over the next is he deals with man's ultimate enemy, death. And he says, we already have ultimate victory over our ultimate enemy, death, because he conquered. He rose from the dead, and by so doing, because he was God, not another person, he's already conquered death. And so your ultimate enemy has already been defeated, and you should be excited about that. You should live in light of that. We live in a new way, born again. If any man's in Christ, creation. Old things pass away. All things have become new. Paul wrote those exact words to this same church in his second letter to them, that you've got brand new eyes. You see everything differently now because you're in Christ. You've been born again. So today, what we're going to do is look at verses 1 through 11. And what you're going to see in these verses is a two-fold summary of the gospel. What does the gospel mean? You've always been told. What does it mean? Good news. That's exactly what it is. It means good news. But specifically, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. I'll give you a cultural picture to kind of help this word. The word gospel, when they used it in their culture, meant someone would ride into town to herald the good news that we've been victorious in a battle. And he would come in and he would shout the gospel, the good news. We won. They'd have a big parade and they'd have a giant celebration. And so that became the word that the church use, we still use, to share the good news. We herald Jesus has risen from the dead. The good news is we defeated our, he defeated our enemy, death. We have been victorious. Now let's celebrate what we do when we come together on Sunday morning and at other times is we are celebrating the victory we have in Jesus because he did rise from the dead. And we celebrate it together. And then we go out and we share what with our world? The gospel, the good news. We herald it. Jesus is alive. 
Not a dead religious nut that we've chosen to follow, but God in the flesh died in our place, bought our redemption, came back from the dead. When he said on the cross, it is finished, you know what he meant by that? It's finished. I am paying price, paying debt. He did to do so, and he rose from the dead. So in 1 Corinthians 15, you're going to see these proofs laid out that our Savior is risen. And because he is risen, we herald the good news. Proof number one is the proof of salvation. Proof of salvation. You're going to see two things in these first two verses. Paul's preaching and our position. It's what Paul preached, and it's where we stand in Christ. If you're born again, you've been declared righteous by God because of what Jesus did. Not because you're good looking. I'm glad. Not because of what you've done. Not because of what you've given. Not because you're a good person. You're not. Nobody is. Because he did it. He was perfect. Perfect. Think about that. Perfect, sinless sacrifice, the lamb, Passover lamb. He came, died, was buried, rose again. Because of that, you have a position by faith in Christ. You are declared righteous. God's child, forever you will be his. So you have peace, you have hope, you have purpose. You know your destination. You know absent from the body, it's present with the Lord. You'll be in paradise forever. So I want us to look at Paul's preaching in relevance to our position. 15.1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If, and that if in Greek should be translated since, the conditional of it. Since you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Moreover, he's saying in addition to all that I've written to you in the first, what we would call 14 chapters, the letter we wrote it, all that I've written to you up to this point, Let's pause. You always look at these words of conclusion and summary and transition are really important in the gospel. I mean, in, in the letter especially. Moreover, on top of all that I've already told you, let's emphasize this point. This is what I preach to you. Paul started this church at Corinth. He said, this is what I preach to you, the gospel, the good news. You're going to see it summarized here, and then you're going to say, Paul said, now look at my life. Look at what he's done for me. So here's the gospel. You heard it from me. I preached to you. You know the good news about Jesus Christ. You received it. Notice that word, received. That's when you're born again. Greek tense of that verb is called aorist. It's a definite point in time. Randy, for example, April 19th, 1970, 44 years ago, in the next week, three weeks, I was born again. I was saved. At that point in time, I trust Christ. Now, God knew about me before he ever created the universe. You ever pause and mull over that a little? That's how special you He knew about me before he ever created the universe, and he created me anyway. He allowed me to come anyway, and he saved me. And he had a great plan for me that I had no idea what laid out. Still, I don't know what tomorrow brings. He's already there. And he says, moreover, now this is what you see. This is what you stand in. The Greek tense of that verb, in which you stand, is something that happened in the past. You were born again. It's present results. In other words, you're living it out now. You've heard me talk about the three tenses of salvation, past, present, and future. I was born again. In the future, I will die and I will go to heaven. Future tense salvation, ultimate, final, the past I was born again. Presently, I'm living out my salvation. That's called sanctification. God working in me to be more effective for him. Christ in me, living it out. Sanctification, justification, sanctification, and ultimately, finally, one day, glorification. The hard part is the sanctification part. We like being saved. We like going to heaven. We really struggle with the in-between. Life's not easy. It's hard. Except you have pitiful of the day. You have, you have purpose. Why? That's the title of today's message. Why? Let's say it together. Ready? The top. Our Savior is risen. That's it. He rose from the dead. 
He's got it. I trust him. I have peace in difficulty. I have peace because my Savior is risen. Stability is the picture pain. You're because you belong to God. Born again, you're being saved. You will be. You've got stability. In the midst of us, you've got stability. The writer of Hebrews, I love metaphors. This is our anchor. Steadfast. We're not going anywhere. Jesus is our anchor. That's our hope. And steadfast. Verse 2. You're saved, you hold fast. The Greek tense there is continuous. It's that process. Is that what goes on? Because here's what he's saying. Remember I gave you the background of the church of Corinth. What he's saying is don't be swayed by these false teachers. Don't let these guys who are coming in and telling you another gospel. I preached to you resurrection. These guys are coming into your church and telling you, no, 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 that's not going to happen. You're solid. You're stable. Don't be swayed. Stand in the word of God. Don't be swayed by these false teachers, by this false gospel. If you think that was happening 2,000 years ago, which it clearly was, you read the New Testament, it is happening today as well. The number one best-selling Christian author in our nation is in air quotes. Some of them are solid. A significant number of them really be careful. By, is it of Jesus? Does it line up with the word of God? Paul said, hold on to that. Swayed by these guys. Second proof, verse 3 and 4, the proof of scriptures. Look at verse 3. For I, Paul, delivered to you first of all that which I also received. Christ died for our sins according to scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You write, I don't know, again, if you write in the margin of your Bible, in my study Bible at home, here's what I've got written in the margin next to verse 3 and 4, the gospel in a nutshell. If you ever get caught, somebody says to you, hey, I need you to do a quick Bible study, turn to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, you got it. We call that in the business shake and bake. You ready? You got it. The gospel in a nutshell. Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again. Don't miss this. According to the scriptures. He says it twice. If he says it twice, guess what? It's the emphasis of what he's talking about here. According to the scriptures. He just mentioned the gospel that he had preached. Here's what he's saying. The gospel, the good news about Jesus the Christ or Messiah was prophesied, all of it prophesied and pictured for us. When he says scriptures here, you and I, that's the Old and New Testament. When he wrote this, none of the New Testament was written. So what's he talking about? The Old Testament. So when these Jews primarily, and they're obviously Jews and, and Gentiles growing, but primarily the early church was Jewish. When they, the scriptures to them were Moses, the prophets, David, what we call the Old Testament, their writings. He's saying, when you read that, it's about Jesus. It was prophesied. It was pictured. For example, in Leviticus chapter 16, I know all of you read Leviticus on a regular basis, and it's an exciting book to read. Can't wait to get home this afternoon and read Leviticus. Leviticus 16 pictures the Day of Atonement. What do you think Jesus did when he died on the cross? He bought atonement. Covered his sin, his blood covers my sin. When you read about the ark, how many of you have seen the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark? Don't lie, you've all seen it. When that thing's flying around at the end of the movie, that lid that falls back down on the Ark of the Covenant, you know what that lid is called? The mercy seat. The mercy seat. So when the high priest on the day of atonement went into the inner sanctum, the Holy of Holies, and he sprinkled blood on the mercy seat, what was he picturing? Jesus Christ dying on the cross, buying, covering your sin. In the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve sinned, where did God get the skin to cover them with? He killed animals, didn't he? When he killed them, what came out? Take a guess. Blood, among other things. Blood had to be spilled so they could be covered. That's what the word atonement, that's just one example. Jonah, cool story, not true. Yes, it is. Jesus referenced the story of Jonah, and what did he say? As Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the earth. He was saying, when you read the story of Jonah, you're reading about my resurrection. 
You see that? Example after example after example. That's what the Old Testament is. Picturing, prophesying that one day the Messiah would come. And now Paul's saying that Messiah was Jesus Christ. Exodus, you got the Passover, you got first fruits, you got Pentecost. All the things we're celebrating this time of year we call Easter is Passover. That's what it is. All of that's picked, laid out in the Old Testament. You can go on and on. Just a simple example. Grace. Christ died for our sin, according to Scripture, has always been God's way of redeeming people. By faith, trust God, provision of a Messiah, born again. The Bible says Abraham to God. It's accounted to him for righteousness. That's Genesis, the first of the Bible. Not, even though it is in Galatians, Genesis. Abraham saved by faith, not Abraham lived for and for the law. He wasn't saved by the law, he lived by grace. Everyone else, like you and I were. God said, this is my plan. Verse 3, verse, he, was, he died for our sins. Verse 4, was buried. Look at me for just a moment. What type of people do bury to be rude? What type of people do bury? Hopefully dead people. That's important, by the way. You bury dead. Christ died. He was buried. So if he was buried, he was what? Do you realize there are preachers standing behind pulpit day that just act die in that tomb? Passed out? They buried a guy alive? Or what? Sweet. He was buried. He died. He was buried, and he did what? Next verse. End of verse 4 say. He rose what? On the third day. Just like he said he would, the reference to Jonah, Paul says, here's my priority. Christ, he was, first of all, say to you, more important than anything else, here's the gospel. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why is this so important? The relevance of the empty tomb. Let's say Jesus was dead, and they buried him, but he didn't rise again. What do you got in the tomb there? You got a dead body, corrupt and decay, but he can't save anybody, can it? You can't say it's dead. It's a body, corrupt, will go back to dust just like every other is buried. The Bible says God did not allow holy one to corruption. Why? He rose from the dead. The gospel in a nutshell, death, burial, and resurrection. If he did not rise from the dead, we are wasting our time. We'll get to that probably each Sunday. First of all, highest priority. Look on your outline at Romans chapter 1. Paul writes these words. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through the prophets in the Holy Scripture, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. You see the Trinity there. The Son of God. He was God. And by the Spirit, He rose from the dead. He was God. He resurrected Himself from the dead. You see it? It's incredible. Next point, number three. Not only have the proof of the Scriptures, you have also the proof of our risen Savior, our salvation, but you have the proof of the eyewitnesses. Look at verse five. Then He was seen by Cephas. Cephas, we talked about, is whom? Don't make me go back and do that sermon. Who is Peter? Who? Ooh. Cephas is obviously Peter. He was seen by Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present. As he's writing, these people are still alive. Some have fallen asleep or passed away. And after that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Proof of the eyewitnesses. Number one, repeated appearances. He didn't just show up one time, showed up. This, this guy saw him. This guy saw him. The women at the tomb saw him. Over 500 people, a large number of people saw him at one time. That's just one that's mentioned. And and here's the point. He makes the point. Most of those people are still alive. The vast majority. Go ask them. Go ask them. Did you see Jesus? They're available for questions. For example, if I stand up here next week and I love to play golf, let's tell, let's say to you, I, I stand up here next week and I tell you, I flew down to Augusta National. They're getting ready for the match. I love that golf tournament. So I got to fly down there this week and I played golf with Tiger Woods. We had a huge gallery falling around because I was there. 
or maybe because Tiger was there. But anyway, I played with Tiger, and Jack Nicholas joined us for a few holes. It was really cool. And I beat Tiger. And I come back and what's the first thing you're going to think? He started drinking. Randy's an idiot. Randy's crazy. But wouldn't it be pretty easy to find out? Number one, you think that that's, that's a crazy, stupid. But it wouldn't be hard to check it out, would it? It's exactly what If you don't think Jesus rose from the dead, go ask some of these people. Now, you might talk a few of people into lying. You're right. Is there's a reason he mentions 500? Are you going to get 500 people to believe a lie and do it and, and literally go die for it? With the early church, that's what they did over and over again. Go ask them. Have you seen him? Is he alive? Did you touch him? Did you see him eat? We talked about some of that last week. Notice he appears to Peter. Interesting. We talked about him appearing to Peter and publicly restoring him. But Peter really needed Jesus to appear to him, didn't he? He'd been a coward. He denied Jesus, let him down. Jesus goes out of his way to go to him and show him grace, show him forgiveness, show him restoration. And he becomes the leader of the church at Jerusalem. Interesting picture. We've talked about that at great length. It says he appears to the 12, simply a euphemism of disciples. Now, who were these people? The guys that were left, they were going to carry on, weren't they? They were the ones Jesus saying, I need you now to go to Baton. I need you to go. Take the gospel into all the world. Even though you've let me down, get up, get back out there. I got a job for you. Go. They were the ones not only were going to go into the world and preach the gospel. When you read your Bible, you read Romans. Who wrote it? Say something I told my class. Anytime someone asks who wrote a book, who tested, say, Paul, you got a chance to be. Unless you're Phil Clark and John Paul. First John, he's from, that's, that's a different issue. Phil is from Frazier. I'm just, all right. Who wrote Romans? Good. Who wrote Acts? Uh, good guess, but I just thought I'd try it. Luke wrote it. Who wrote John? First John. Second John. Third John. Jude. James. Revelation. It doesn't matter. Paul wrote them all. He didn't. My point is, the guys that Jesus appeared to, they had a big job to take the gospel to their world while they were on earth, but also they recorded the world following. Still the greatest selling of all time, the Bible. These guys had a big job. So he appears to them, and they were chained. You read their lives, New Testament chained. With that, except for John, they were all martyred. Why? Resurrected. He is exactly who he said. He's God. I can follow him who he said he was God. The interesting one that I really want you to focus on for a moment, and then we'll finish up, is James. See, see, it mentions that he appeared to James. Who James is? It's not Alphaeus. Not, we're not positive, but most theologians believe. You read, you had the book of James, New Testament, in the context. This is Jesus' half-brother, another one of Mary, Joseph and Mary's children, James. If you read John 7, 15, says that his family, specifically his brothers, they didn't believe. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus in your house? His toys aren't all over the place. I ain't got to worry about his clothes. I know where his clothes are. Clean, stacked up, folded where they're supposed to be. He takes care of the pet. We ain't got any problems. He never does anything wrong. Why can't you be like Jesus? That'd be tough, wouldn't it? The Son of God is your brother? Nah, I ain't buying that. And they didn't. Literally, his own family did not believe in him. His brother. We don't know how many. We know his brother didn't believe in him until what? Until he rose from the dead. And after he rose from the dead, yeah, they were changed. So he appears to James. So finally, you see verses 8 and 10, the proof of Paul's life. Look at this, verse 8. Last of all, he was seen by me as, one, as by one born out of due time, for I am the least of the apostles. I am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecute the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I. But the grace of God, which was with grace, grace, grace. Here's what I want you to see. Paul went from an enemy of God to a servant of God by the grace of God. Which, by the way, that describes we're in rebellion against God, and he saves us to become his servant by his grace. Paul wasn't just an enemy of God, was he? He was their number one. As he says himself, right here, I'm not worthy. I persecute them. I'm the last person to choose to be an apostle, and yet Jesus did choose. And to make you think it's hope for you. 
He was their number one enemy. Jesus appeared to him and said, I need you, you, to take the gospel of the Gentile. You, bear my name, you. What you see here are the effects of grace, hard, hard life. Paul was a Pharisee. He was on the Sanhedrin. He was self-righteous. He was their number one enemy. And God radically changed it into what we know as the great apostle Paul. He was overwhelmed by grace. By the grace of God, I am what I am. This was a 180-degree change in life because prior to that, all he thought about was himself, and he literally believed he did not sin. He was self-righteous. I can keep the Philippians chapter 3. Listen to these words. Philippians 3, Paul writes, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness that was in the law, blameless. Do you see that statement? I did not sin. I was righteous. I kept law. That's about as arrogant as possibly. But what things were gained to me, and that's literally gained plural in Greek, what things were gains to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. In other words, I saw all of these things that I thought made me righteous. And when I met Jesus in Damascus, after as I was disciple, what did he If you'd read past his sleep, the rest of it, he says, everything I counted when I met Jesus, our Savior. The last point, number five, when you hand out the message, verse 11. Whether it was I, Paul, or they, the other apostles, so we preach, and so you believed. Whether 2,000 years ago when it was written, today, it's all about the message. Exactly said he was. Exactly said he was. Listen to these words, and then we're going to pray. Because the message is what changes. Jesus Christ. Not the smooth person delivering the message. It's the message. Quote, meaning no disrespect to the religious convictions of others, I still can't help wondering how we can explain away what to me is the greatest miracle of all and which is, and which is recorded in history. No one denies there was such a man, that he lived and he was put to death by crucifixion. Where's the miracle I spoke of? Well, consider this and let your imagination translate the story into our own time, possibly to your own hometown. A young man whose father is a carpenter grows up working in his father's shop. One day he puts down his tools and he walks out of his father's shop. He starts preaching on street corners and in the nearby countryside, walking from place to place, preaching all the while even though he is not an ordained minister. He does this for three years. He's arrested, tried, and convicted. There is no court of appeal. He's executed at age 33 with two common thieves. Those in charge of his execution roll dice to see who gets his clothing, the only possession he has. His family cannot afford a burial place for him, so he's interred in a borrowed tomb. End of story. No, this uneducated, propertyless young man who left no written word has for 2,000 years had a greater effect on the world than all the rulers, kings, emperors, conquerors, generals, and admirals, scholars, scientists, and philosophers who have ever lived. All of them put together. How do we explain that? Unless he really was who he said he was. In quote, those words were on Reagan, a man who got it. A lot of our other leaders, not just leaders, when you are honest, examine, walk away. It's the one you follow. Lord, we thank you that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And as we look at this over the next three weeks, we would realize what a powerful message that is because he offers something he can't get anywhere. He is the most significant person in all history. He's God, not just also God. We thank you for his resurrection because without it, the rest of it doesn't matter. He's not just he is God. So I pray, Father, as Christians, we would be encouraged that the one we follow rose from the dead, conquered death, sinless, died, buried, rose again. So we would follow him. Give him our lives. Give him our lives. Say, Lord, let me share the gospel. Use us, Father, to spread the good news, the good news that our Savior is risen. And, Father, if there's one person seated who doesn't know Jesus, would be there and say, yes, I believe you died. I believe you buried. I believe you rose again, conquering death and sin. For me, forgive me, save me. I want to be a Christian. I will follow. Admit this time to you, Lord. Amen.